Good morning, and on this wonderful Freedom Day, welcome to the Jesuit Institute Hour here on Radio Veritas. My name is Francis Correa, and I'm going to be with you for the next hour. We're going to spend today listening to some people talking about their memories of Freedom Day and their desires for today, and just kind of thinking their way into this. For myself, I know each year as this, as this day comes around, it, it reminds me of my own joy, my own delight as I voted for myself for the first time. Uh, by God's grace, I also was allowed to vote for the first time in that election in 94. And the joy and the delight of being part of a united South Africa, something that I think we've forgotten. I was chatting to a, a minister recently and he was saying to me how he struck that he hasn't heard the phrase rainbow nation in a very long time and that instead it seems as though our current dialogue, the current narrative in the country is all about what divides rather than what unites us and that maybe we as people of faith need to remember and to remind those in our communities, those around us, that fundamentally at the heart of everything we are called to be human first, that we are that we are really created brothers and sisters in the Lord. And so what we've set up for today is that over the last week, Pamela, who is my um, new producer, Pamela and I have interviewed a couple of people that we know, and we've talked to them about their memories of 94. And we're going to start with um, Father Anthony Egan, because he has quite an unusual memory of 94. He wasn't in the country, and I, I think his story is just one that needs to be heard. So we're going to listen to Anthony now. Good morning, Anthony, and welcome to Radio Veritas again. Oh, good to see you again, or hear from you again. <laughs> so this morning we're talking about um, April 27th and what it means and what it meant to have been able to vote on the 27th of April in 1994, and I know you were in quite an unusual place. Yes, well, April 27th, uh, 1994, I didn't vote. Ah. I voted the day before, not because I was disabled, but because I was based in London at the time. Of course, I was a Jesuit, I was in philosophy, I was studying at Heathrop, and what happened for me was... I had been in South Africa the previous month or so, January, February that, that year, visiting the community. And I asked them if I could just hang around a little longer to, to vote. And they said, no, you can't. You know, you've got studies to do. Go back to London. So what I then decided to do was, well, since I can't participate in the election in South Africa, uh, I'm going to participate in the election in exile. And in addition to that, I thought what I was going to do was I, I would volunteer for the Independent Electoral Commission and help them out in uh, the election in, uh, in London. So I toddled off to the IEC offices, which were in downtown Johannesburg. I remember walking all the way through central Johannesburg, noting how it had changed. The last time I'd been there would have been in the late 80s. And I went to the IEC and I got myself officially credentialed as an IEC monitor for London. And I was assigned Methodist Central Hall, which was the second largest polling station in Britain. And I arrived on the morning, I think it was the 26th of, of yeah, it was the 26th, 26th of April, when all the international votes were being cast around the world. I walk in, and there I meet the 
uh, chief election officer, who was an old lady from the PAC, and his, her deputy, who was a deputy trade secretary at the South African High Commission. And they said, oh, uh, where are the rest of the IEC? And I said, well, I'm, I assume they're coming. And with about 30 minutes to go before the election began, the voting began at 8 a.m., we realized I was the only person from the IEC that was in Methodist Central Hall at the time. Oh, my gosh. So what I basically said to them was, okay, now, in, in fact, I'm now acting head of this thing in terms of supervision. I turned to the party agents, and we had party reps from the ANC, the DP, as they were then, uh, the PAC in Carter... I think they were the main parties, uh, and, and of course, uh, the national party as well. And I said, look, guys, we've got a problem here. I can't be in every place at all the times. So I need one of you from each party to step forward and volunteer to be my delegated IEC assistants. And, and that was basically what happened. They stepped forward. I said, of course, with great respect and great apology to you all, you've got to take off any party insignia because you're now IEC. And they agreed happily, and we proceeded with the election. We started, what was it, 8 a.m. in the morning, and I think it finished at 8 p.m. that night, or British time, of course. We literally ran around like scalded puppies, because it, there were thousands of people. I think we must have had about 20,000 people come through the polling station. Wow. It felt like that. It felt like millions. What I also remember was there was only one person didn't have the paperwork. We tried so hard. As I recall, we even phoned Johannesburg to check to see if we could let this guy through. And they said, look, he's got absolutely nothing to prove that he ever was a South African citizen. So, no. Broke our hearts. Anyway, so after these 12 hours of on our feet the whole time... Uh, occasionally having a glass of water or a quick cup of coffee here and then, care of the United Nations people who were observers, uh, we were absolutely wasted. And we had to collate together all the, the polling uh, leaflets and get all the, the ballot papers together, and we had everything collated. So that would take us another hour and a bit. And then the, uh, the driver to collect the bags to go to Heathrow would, would arrive, and we would then... I would go with uh, a UN observer to the airport to see that it was deposited at Heathrow to fly back to South Africa for, 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 you know, for voting. And I remember by about half past nine, we'd just finished all the stuff. We're absolutely wasted. And I remember very clearly the representative from the ANC said, you know, this is crazy. We've been on the go now for 14 hours. We need some, we need break. We need something to eat, we need some drink. And the IFP representative, who was a very odd Englishman, uh, or, you know, probably a South African English expat who, you know, was one of those guys who was, you know, dotty about the IFP, he said, oh, I don't know exactly the place to go. So the ANC and the IFP went off to buy fish and chips at a fish and <laughs> chip shop in, in London, which turned out to be excellent. The United Nations representatives made more coffee for us to keep us all awake. And the embassy crowd disappeared to South Africa House and came back 15 minutes later with a crate of Castle Lager. And so we all sat down and had fish and chips and Castle and coffee uh, at about half past nine that night, at which point the British driver arrived to collect the mailbags containing all the ballot papers. 
and we told him, sit down, have something to eat, have something to drink, uh, we're, we're having supper. And he's like, oh, well, all, all right, mate, okay. I think you remember correctly, he had a, had a West Indian accent. He was obviously of Jamaican ancestry. And he said, so tell me, uh, who are you people? Who do you represent? And the old lady who, who was the, the electoral officer from the PAC, she looked at him and she said, my child, we come from all kinds of backgrounds, but today we are all South Africans. Nice. And there was a dead silence. We all looked at each other and we all nodded. And then, of course, there was the job of going off to Heathrow to drop off the bags. And so I and one of the UN reps went off and we... Was it, no, she was, was she, well, no, she was UN reps. We went off to, to, to Heathrow, dropped off the bags, and then the, the driver kindly took us back into central London and we had to find a night bus for me to get back, to, uh, it was the 13, in, as I recall, to my community in Stamford Hill. Uh, and so I collapsed in bed at about three o'clock on the 27th. So for most of the 27th, the morning thereof, I was pretty much out of action. I sort of surfaced and managed to get into to lectures. I think luckily it was only, um, I think my lectures were only starting at midday. But I stumbled in bleary eyed like a complete zombie. So that was my that was your recollection experience. of the 94 elections. Wow, that's amazing, Anthony. Ooh. It's a, it's a, certainly a, a colourful memory of the elections. Very dramatic, very dramatic. I somewhere still have my IEC vest. I don't know what happened to it, but it's somewhere. And I also have the IEC hat. Uh, yeah, no, it was quite amazing. And if you think about the, the atmosphere then, and I, I love what the, the PAC woman said today, we are all, all South, South Africans. Africans. If you think about that kind of atmosphere... What for you remains and what for you has changed, if you think about now? Yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, you know, it was the first election in my life where I felt I could vote legitimately. Even though I you know, obviously had the vote since I was 18 and at that stage I was mm, 26. I'd never really taken the election seriously. I thought it was a bit of a joke because, you know, 80% of the population were not even represented. I was bonkers. Um, I think for me, it gave me a sense of becoming a citizen. Mm -hmm. uh, and a sense of belonging, which I'd never really had before. And I think, because I thought that, you know, we were reaching that stage where we were becoming a nation. And in a sense, it was a sense we were all pulling together. And certainly as I look at it, there was, I think, a genuine sense of, of goodwill, possibly moved by a sense of urgency that if we didn't pull this off, you know, if we don't all hang together, we'll all hang separately, and that it could be a chaos. And I think that sense of urgency and that sense of nationhood, those were the two things that I think brought it all together. Um, if you look back at it, it may have been partly illusory, because we were, in a sense, brushing over many of the issues that had never and have yet to be really addressed. But there was a sense that there was a will to go forward and work together, 
to try and resolve questions. And quite honestly, I don't see that any longer. I see everyone now pursuing their own interests, sectoral interests, individual interests, uh, not actually thinking through what the issues are and what can be done realistically to address them. And that I miss. There was, I, I just thought it was iconic for me that there you had these party representatives, parties who were fighting with each other. Who were going off to, to buy fish and chips. Well, going off to yeah. buy fish and chips together, taking off their party insignia and, working and just together. working together. Yeah, and I, I, that, it, that, that was, me, I think, a moment that was, that was remarkable. I mean, because I think it, it showed that when the chips were down, people can work across parties, cross-partisan thinking. Uh, and it based on the idea that we've got to make this election work. We cannot have this polling station come under question because, you know, there's barely any IEC representatives there to, to say that it was all well and truly done. Because I had to write a report a report of what happened. I had to talk about you know, what happened, the process, and everything else, and that was filed and everything else. And I think that was that was that was important because you know the sense of urgency that that really we were about to make history. You know, we we, we confounded our greatest critics who thought that it would end in a sort of bloodthirsty civil war and total chaos, and it hadn't. I mean, we came close. I mean, let's make no mistake. The, the, the 90s were more violent, early 90s were more violent in terms of deaths than the 80s mm. in terms of casualties because there was war for positioning. But in the end, people realised they just had to sort of make this work. It just had to happen. Uh, and, and that sense of urgency and that sense of possibility of making something new, that was so important. That really gave us a sense of, of you know, something about to happen. Yeah, and perhaps in that sort of enthusiasm, one might call it the kind of romance of a new democracy, we, uh, we didn't look more closely and critically at the real issues, the divisions. Um, I mean, for example, I mean, subsequently, things like the Truth Commission. Um, I've always said the Truth Commission should never have been attempting to reconcile or to effect reconciliation, because I think much of that was was forced. Uh, I think establishing the, the objective truth was the most important thing. And and then trying to work out realistically what could be done. Mm. I think that was such an important development uh, and we didn't we didn't exploit it. Uh, and you know there were all those wonderful moments. I mean I cannot I mean I loathe the rugby. I'm not a rugby player. Never have been. But hell I love the World Cup. Damn it. That was such fun. You know, I actually, I was still in London. I deliberately refused to watch the final because I did not want to be depressed seeing South Africa lose. And I was in London and I bumped into, I, I think it was a New Zealander who heard my accent and said, congratulations. And I said, I beg your pardon. And he said, you must be the only South African in the city who doesn't know that you guys won at the last minute. I said, talk about the miracle. <laughs> And he just laughed. He says, he says, I suppose you guys need it. You deserve it. And I think that kind of, that mood was very different. Perhaps too romantic, too idealised, and not enough hard thoughts and careful analysis.
If you were to think now about what gift that time might offer us now, when I think we are quite um, aware of the great gaps. chaos, confusion. A sense of willingness to engage in a, what I would simply call a democratic manner, a civil manner, with people you disagree with, a willingness to assume the best intentions on the part of people you may not agree with, uh, and find a common cause, a common purpose. Uh, And yeah, in many ways, I mean, politics is about compromise. Finding a compromise that will, will do what is necessary, but at the same time do what is just and also what is efficient, so that, you know, we pull ourselves out of the mess. I mean... You look at the current global situation. I mean, we're not learning the lesson that populism is is dangerous, whether we're talking about Turkey or the United States uh, or or other places where you know ranting populist lunatics are are ruling the roost uh, and ultimately destroying everything. I mean, Turkey is never going to be part of the European Union now. Britain is going to suffer hideously from its decision to leave the European Union. I'm pretty sure of that. Maybe not economically in the in the short term, but culturally, and, and that sense of being, once again, an isolated little island without having the benefit of empire anymore. And the United States, I mean, it's just becoming almost a stereotypical bully uh, run by ranting, irrational people uh, rather than the bulwark of democracy. Not help, not helpful. And you think about it, you know, in this climate, with rumours of war in in in, in, um, in North Korea and rumours and real war in the Middle East, uh, and all the uncertainty that generates in terms of economics, our rand should be much stronger than it is. Mm. So, we are sabotaging our own futures by refusing to think strategically, pragmatically and with a sort of genuine willingness to engage, which we had in 94, but we seem not to have now. Well, thank you very much. That's very helpful. Thank you. It's a pleasure. And so that was Father Anthony Egan just sharing some of his memories of 94. And when he told that story, I just I, I, I found myself utterly charmed by it. I was thinking it's, it's just such a wonderful story. We were also commenting afterwards. We were thinking um, that couldn't have happened today. Can you imagine what social media would have done if you realized that only one IEC representative and him a volunteer had turned up at a polling station, a major polling station? I mean, that would have been all over social media and Twitter instantaneously. But there are some gifts to living in a pre-cell phone world. We're going to have a chat now with Puleng Matsuneng um, about her memories of, of 94. She was in South Africa. She was here in, voting in Soweto. And so we're going to just turn to that interview now. So Puleng, welcome to Radio Veritas. Thank you, Francis. And um, good morning to all Radio Veritas listeners. So this morning we're just speaking a little bit about where you were all those years ago in 94 on the 27th of April. What do you remember? On the 26th of April 1994 we had a joyous night. We really didn't sleep. 
and we were just waiting for all of us in our family to go and vote, um, those who qualified to vote. We even didn't mind the long queues. Everyone was excited. It was unbelievable that we had an opportunity to vote at least as black people in this country. I think I waited for more than five hours in the queue before I was able to vote, but that didn't say anything or didn't count to me because I really was hoping to say my voice and wanting to see this country being democratic and yeah, enjoying it. Mm. And so where did you vote? My parish had, has a wall, or we have a wall, so we could use the hall as a voting place, so it was one of the places that um, we could go and vote. So I voted at St. Martin de Porres um, Catholic Church, so that's why I voted in Holland West. Okay. And if you think then, and if you were to think about today, what 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 do you hold from that memory that gives you still life today? I think it was true power for the people, and one cannot deny that. The truth sets itself free, and we felt that through truth we are free. Um, and I think all those of us who voted in 1994, those who have died or those who are still alive will never forget how remarkable it was to to vote. It's very different from now, unfortunately, which is also quite sad that, for instance, in 2020, I think people will say, ah, do I want to go and vote? Or... Maybe I don't want to go and vote. But in 1994, it was different. Everyone qualifying to vote went to vote. Um, there was a great hope that the fruits of 1994 will carry on. Like I say, it's unfortunate that now there's a bigger struggle than in 1994. I also don't want to, I'm not sure whether to outline maybe what causes the biggest struggle, which I'm not too sure to sometimes, but maybe to say a little bit about some of the failures maybe later on. Um, we really didn't iron out some of the issues, and so that is really coming out and coming out in a bad way and very disappointing way. So we do need some some kind of healing and healing for everyone, a process of let us heal in this country. Um, yeah, 1994 it was great. No one will forget that. But the after time of 1994, 
showed that we needed healing and it was never dealt with. Thank you. So there's a real sense of of wanting healing for people, of needing to process what was not processed yeah. more than 20 years ago. Yeah. And I also really pick up on the work I do in the townships and parishes. People are, are disappointed, but the main disappointment in them is finding healing. And so through the Ignatian retreats we run in parishes, people voice that out, but also mention that these kinds of retreats are also helping them. But for them, when they end the retreat, they always say they are a tiny number of people who are getting this help. They wish if the whole country was getting a similar help. I also believe that our leaders, it might appear that they are living good life, but I always hope, especially if they find people that we can sit with people and speak with people, those could be psychologists or people who are doing counseling. Or like me and others or my colleagues who are in spiritual direction, we could find a lot of pain in, even in them. But they play a game like they're okay. No one is okay. Um, the only good picture we have is 27th uh, April 1994. That was good. But in that goodness, we needed to not to run away or sh uh, shy away from our issues. But to say we've done so well, South Africans or South Africa, let us look at this area now. Thanks, Pauline. Thank you to you, Francis, and your listeners at Radio Veritas. So I thought it was appropriate at the end of chatting to Pauline to maybe play a piece of music from about that time um, that was recorded by the Orlando West Youth Choir um, way back in the 90s. And so this is, as it is the Easter season and as it is Freedom Day, this is the Alleluia Chorus from Orlando West. 